three. Let's go to. There we go. Much better. All right. Uh, so we are jumping into 2018 in a really fun way. We've got some really exciting things planned for us moving forward, and we really want to uh, uh, give you kind of a, a vision of what's happening. That'll uh, in large part happen uh, at the family meeting. We'll continue to call that. But this morning, I want to do something very strategic for all of us, no matter how old we are or how young we are. Actually, a quick update, speaking of old, uh, we prayed uh, significantly for Irv last week. Uh, If you were here during the services, we prayed in both services for Irv. He was in the hospital. He got released that day uh, at around 3 o'clock, and he's at home. Uh, He's not great, but he's better. And so continue to, to pray for Irv. We'll keep you up to date. On, on how he's doing, how his medicine is kicking in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I said, well, we couldn't all come to be in your hospital room, but we did pray for you uh, during both services, and he was really appreciative of that. So that's just a, a quick family business on uh, our very handsome and sarcastic Irv. Uh, so what we're going to do this morning, and i love for you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the church This is not a new passage for most all of you. Uh, This is a passage that if you have read through the beginning stages of the church being born, you've at least perused this or heard a sermon on this and looked at this. And so for some, this is going to be brand new. For others, this is going to be review. But for all of us, it's going to be something that we choose to apply. And so I want you to open up to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you in all the seats uh, here in this room. So you can uh, open up one of those or open up your app or iPad or whatever you might use. The church is an interesting thing. And I, I would love a show of hands. How many of you around the house utilize YouTube to know how to do something? Any, look, all right, hold on a second. Put your hand up high if you use YouTube to know how to do something. Look around this room. 20 years ago, this never would have been the case, right? What's interesting about YouTube is, uh, now a quick show of hands, how many of you have watched a YouTube video on how to do something and that person did it completely wrong? Anybody? Yeah, we've had those as well. It's like watching home videos, Uh, which is kind of just weird. You go, hey, I'm going to watch this stranger uh, that who knows what kind of life he lives change out his hot water heater, and I'm just going to sit back with my cup of coffee and watch him. And you're that hot water heater guy, and you're sitting back knowing thousands and if not millions of people are going to watch you change out your hot water heater. I don't know why people don't choose how they dress better for some of those how-to do-it-yourself, you would think they would do a little bit of prep on like brush your hair, make sure you match, pull up your pants, all those kind of things on do-it-yourself, but they don't. But YouTube has provided an incredible amount of opportunities to watch home videos of people doing it themselves. And sometimes it's a colossal failure, and other times they literally save our lives. Some of you have experienced that and have also saved us a bunch of money, right? So that absolutely happens in YouTube videos. What's interesting, when we're looking at the church, the the community of God's people, we have looked at in years past, we've looked at the incredible need to serve others and to love them. 
We have looked at the great commission. We have looked at the great commandment. We know some of those things, at least loosely. And what's interesting about Acts chapter 2 is it's almost like watching a home video. It's almost like watching those three things put into practice, watching those three elements of the church lived out. And we actually get to watch that. And so Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through 47, and I'm just going to read it from the screen because my printer didn't work for the ESV. So let's read this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, which we'll do this morning, they received their food, and with glad and generous, some versions say sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's a little bit of a home video. It's almost like watching a little YouTube video on do-it-yourself. What does the church look like when it's operating correctly? What does the church look like when it's operating the way that God designed it? This, what we read right now, is, believe it or not, everyday, ordinary life for the brand new church. Everyday, ordinary life for when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon the people and creates church, we get to see a do-it-yourself home video. The Christian life with extraordinary impact in community. That's exactly what we see. And, and I will say, this is exactly what we want. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're going to grab Acts chapter 2, and if we don't look like that, then we're not successful. There are some churches that do that. I don't really believe in that because I believe that the church changes and evolves over time. God does not change and evolve over time. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the church certainly changes a little bit. But there are elements of the beginning church that I believe we need to have, that we need to continue to strive towards. And Acts chapter 2 gives us an incredible glimpse of what that might be. There's a great commentator. I, I love biblical commentators uh, and commentaries. I love to read them. I love the insights. And so if you're kind of a, a Bible nerd like me, there's a great commentator. His name is Dennis Johnson. And he says this in regards to Luke's capturing of the early church. He said, Luke, when writing the book of Acts, does not intend his description of the church to be nostalgic, uh, a nostalgic retrospect of the good old days, long gone but rather a pattern for the present. In other words, we're not looking at a historical document, uh, much like our forefathers when they created the Constitution and go, oh, that was so great when they used to live like that. Good for them. And they, you know, they had horse-drawn carriages and buggies and you know, all these different things. And that was back then, but this is now. What Dennis Johnson, I believe, accurately says is this is not just a reflection on what was. This should be a reflection on what should be. And so this morning, we're going to look very briefly at three patterns of the church. 
as we continue to strive towards being the community that God has called Rock Creek Church to be. And they're all biblical. They're, they're, they're not something that the elders came up with or I came up with or that we read in a book. This is straight from scripture. So number one, a pattern for our community here is that we are worshiping God. A, a pattern for a healthy community of those who are following Christ they are worshiping God. Now, you might say, well, duh, that obviously we're in church. That's what we do. We read the Bible, we worship, and we have casseroles. That's what you do at church. And so you're not giving us anything monumental. Well, on one hand, you're absolutely right. I told you these are straight from Scripture, so they're not going to be anything new under the sun. But on the flip side, I want to look at it from a different angle. Talk of creating community, which we tend to do pretty frequently, often centers around community. And that's different than what the Bible prescribes. The most important thing about Christian community is for it to center around God himself, not around the community itself. Community is important, but it's not the most important. Community allows the church to thrive, but it is not the thing that causes a church to thrive. It's God himself. It's God being present. It's God being worshipped. And not just present here. It's pretty easy for Alex and I and the team to put on a worship service. But the worshipping of God for the church extends way far beyond what we do in a given hour on one day a week. It's about applying that in your life. It's about applying it day to day, minute by minute, no matter what you're encountering. It's a byproduct of a life with God. You want to know, well, am I growing in Christ? That's a very good question to ask in 2018 as we begin this new year. If you want to know how you are growing in Christ, how are you worshiping God? Because that's a byproduct of a life with God. And true community only happens when we have a relationship with God together. Otherwise, we could very easily just forget what we're doing here or cancel youth group and go just get together with friends or neighbors or friends. But there's something unique about taking individuals who are all following Christ together. And as I look out across this room, I see all of your beautiful faces. You're all following God. You're, always, you're all following Christ in similar ways, but very independent ways of your own family or of your own personality or your own character. That's what creates true community. That's what creates the early church in Acts chapter 2. And so what we do is we follow up on that. And you might ask, well, what brought the people together in Acts chapter 2? What caused them to be so tight? What caused them to be so unique? Because to be sure, there were lots of gatherings of people during the early church, during that first century. But what made them unique? To understand that, you have to go back to verses 40 and 41. This is what it says. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, essentially begging, if you would, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. You know that about me. But I do wonder, is there a similarity to the message that was being preached in the early church to what we see today? 
Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Is the generation we see today corrupt? I would say yes. You might say, well, let's not use corrupt, let's use another word. That would be fair. I'd be more than willing to have that discussion. But is it what God desires? The answer would be no. Are the things that we get pulled into God's desires? I would say no. Not all, but some. Relationship with God brings people together, and that creates community. It creates community in the youth group. It creates community in our life groups. It creates community on a Sunday morning as we spread our arms out even wider. It creates community in a business meeting or it creates community when we're uh, serving uh, the homeless a lunch. It creates community when we're putting shoeboxes together or going down to Juarez. It creates community. And so what do we see in this first group? What is worship? Well, we tend to say, well, whatever Alex is doing up here is worship. Or when Mark uh, was leading, what, what, whoever's leading worship, if we're going to sing, that's worship. And, and we know if you've been around the church long enough or if you've been able to dive into your relationship with Christ, you know that worship is more than what is sung. It's more than how you sound. For some of you, that's really good news. <laughs> it's more than what comes out of our mouth. And so what are some of those things from the early church? Number one, they were first united in conviction. They were convicted of their own sin, and they responded. There's something very powerful about that when you're with another group of people or a dear friend or family member, and you're both convicted of sin to follow Christ that draws you together. They are united in knowing the truth of redemption in Christ, who he is, what he stands for, what he offers. Some of you have experienced that. Again, teenagers, you go to camp, you're with a, a room full of 300 or, or however many students in a room, you're singing, you're praising, you're hearing a message, the Bibles are open, and there's something unbelievable, powerful about saying, God, you are awesome. And when we lose that, then we just become friends, just we become associates. So the early church kept their eyes on that. That faith made them devoted. We read that in the scriptures. Their community is centered on knowing God's word. Our community sometimes centers around food. Now, don't get me wrong. Food's incredible. I love food. And so did the apostles and the disciples in the early church. We'll see that. They love their food. Sometimes ours circles around fun or activities. Theirs centered around knowing God's word intimately. They centered around breaking bread. Now, people will debate about this, whether that was communion, like we're going to take uh, this morning, whether it was that or whether it was a meal. Well, one thing we do know is they ate. They ate around God. They ate around the scriptures. They certainly remembered communion, but it wasn't limited to communion. There's something unbelievably powerful about being able to sit down and share a meal with another person. It draws out and brings about community. They were in prayer. They, they were dependent on God in him and on him in all things. Not just the little things, not just the big things, but all things. For us, that means choosing colleges. That means how we spend our money. That means how we spend our time, what jobs we take, where we live whether we buy a house or whether we buy a car, 
You see, for the Christian life, God wants to be involved in all of those things, not just some, not just the ones that we deem to be spiritual. If God were here, and he is, but if he were to speak to you, he'd say, hey, don't just limit me to the ones that you deem spiritual. Include me in all of things, and I'll give you guidance. This is the early church, knowing Christ daily in all things. The second pattern of the church that we see in Acts chapter 2 is their ability and their absolute devotion to love others. To love no matter who came in their path, to love no matter who crossed their journey, to love others. Now, this gets difficult. If you want to know how difficult students go back to school on Tuesday or whenever you go back to school and love every person who you see. Yeah, that'll be fun. Adults, when you go back to work tomorrow or the next day or whatever it might be, every person who you work with, don't just put up with them. Don't just like them, but love them. It starts to get difficult. It starts to push us to the edge of how am I supposed to do that? What's interesting in this passage, here's what's great about this. Nowhere in Acts chapter 2 does it say they loved each other. You notice that? Not one place does it say a command or an inference that they love each other. Why? Because it's a natural expression of those who are following Christ. Again, you want a barometer, you want a way to measure if you're growing in Christ, do you love others? If you don't love others, I'll say boldly, you're not growing in Christ. If you can't stand everybody, you're not growing in your faith. If you are loving others, if you are putting other people first, if you're looking out for the interests of others, you are growing in faith. If it's done in the name of Christ. Relationships are more than social media interactions. We know this. Some of you have hundreds and hundreds of friends on Facebook. Or you have hundreds of followers on Instagram. Those don't make friends. The world around us has tried to redefine what a friend is redefine what love is. Just because I follow you, I love you. Well, that doesn't work. And, and you know this because there are some people who follow you and like you, like meaning the button, and you haven't spoken to them in years and years and years and years. Church is about following Christ with others and loving them, standing with them. We went to the hospital last Sunday after service to see Irv, and I sat down with Irv after his doctor finished giving him a lecture and him lecturing her, and, uh, and I sat down with Irv, and he was wrapped up in a blanket, and uh, he, the nurse had mentioned something about his feet and circulation. I said, Irv, I love you. I will pray for you but I am not rubbing your feet. <laughs> love is an interesting thing, right? I love Irv. I'm not touching his feet. <laughs> and when the nurse came in and said, okay, Irv, it's time to get dressed. About an hour later, I turned to Irv and I said, hey, I love you, 
and I'll pray for you, but I will not rub your feet and I will not watch you get dressed. So <laughs> it's time for me to go. And he was glad that I left. Um, <laughs> and so love is an interesting thing. And yet to put others first, to love another selflessly, that takes a lot of effort. Are we, are, do you, are we together on that? To, to put another first takes everything within us. You see that the ways that they were happy together, verses 44 and 46, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What is the result of finding Christ? It's celebration. It's being happy. It's singing these songs. Did you guys see Pat Rice? Sorry, Pat. Pat is up here playing. Pat's like singing the songs. He's not mic'd, thank God, but he, <laughs> he's not mic'd to be one of the doo-wop singers. He's just playing worship. He's singing the songs. So often, Alex can attest to this, he stands up here and he looks out, and for some of you, you're not even mouthing the words. You're not even pretending. Where is your celebration? Where is your joy? Where is your love for others? And if this cuts, I, I hope it does. You know, they, they used to describe when I was in junior high, because, you know, junior hires, we can't dance. We, I'm not a junior hire anymore, but junior hires cannot dance at all. But they will do what's called the Swain Oak. <laughs> Especially boys. They'll stand in the corner with, like, Jack, Ethan, you guys know what I'm talking about. You guys still do it. You have no skills. And, and they would... <laughs> just kind of sway back and forth like and guess what because they don't know what they're doing they they like they can't bring themselves to like just get their jiggy with it and guess what <laughs> this is exactly what happens sometimes in worship mouth closed and sometimes just standing still where's your joy where's your passion where's your love for others where's your love for celebrating that you have been saved Again, Dennis Johnson says this, as the New Testament speaks of it, fellowship is deep and is constant and is often today, it is cheap and it is superficial. The higher we value our own personal privacy and freedom from commitments, the shallower our grasp of fellowship will be. Bless you. Reduced moments of idle chit-chat over streaming coffee before or after the worship service. That's us. That's the church. That's the slippery slope the church can fall into. That we grab a bagel, we grab a glass of tea, we grab our coffee, we enjoy, we listen, we get up, we leave, we get in the car. And yet that's not a growing, thriving, excitable church. That's not a church that is so passionately in love with what God has done for us. Some of you all need a doctor. <laughs> is there a nurse in the house, Lisa? Lisa is a phone nurse, and she can take care of your feet, but some of you need <laughs> antibiotics. <laughs> Everybody get your cough out and your sneeze out. All right, <clears throat> all right clear throat. We're good? Ihole. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, boy. 
You know, if we're not loving others, if we don't need others, if we don't need the hug, if we don't need the arm around us, I'll be real honest, you're not going to make it very far or very long in the Christian faith. If you think you don't need other people, if, if you're not willing to let your guard down, let your wall down a little bit, following Christ is hard. And we need each other. I need you. I need you to encourage me in faith. I need you to encourage me in my excitement for Christ. I need you to help me parent my children. Mimi does a great job of that. The boys know if Mimi says no, it's no. And if they don't remember that, by the third time they do. <laughs> well, we need each other. We need to love each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to be more than just, hey, how was your week? Good. But to invest and to love one another. You'll certainly not flourish individually, but you'll also guaranteed not flourish in making disciples. And that's our command. We can't make disciples alone. You know that. You have friends that you've been praying for. You have family members that you've been praying for. You can't make disciples by yourself. It's not, it's not possible. So in this community, in Rock Creek Church, we want to continue to foster that. Not just love others, to, to love those in Juarez and love our foster kids and, and, and put shoeboxes together and, and the homeless ministry. We can love other, we, we want to continue to love others in this room to love each other, to care for each other, to, to go and sit at a hospital bed and say, I'm not rubbing your feet, but I love you. That's family. And so that's our aim. The last one is uh, a, a pattern of the early churches. They were constantly influencing the world. Now, this is an interesting thing because what tends to happen is the world influences the church. The world influences our kids. The early church said, we're going to influence the world. We're going to influence culture. We're going to influence how life is done. And they did that, namely, by caring for others. That's how the church became known. People would take those who are sick, go drop them off at the city limits or outside the wall, leave them for dead, want nothing to do with them. These Christ followers would walk up, pick them up, much to uh, just forgetting about their own health concerns, pick them up, bring them home, nurse them back to health, or not, putting themselves at risk, sometimes dying, because they would in, get infected with what those people had, and but in large part would care for those who were kicked to the curb. And they became the Christ followers, they became the Christians. And they influence the world. That's why we have hospitals today, because Christians in the early church cared for others. The church in Acts turned their world upside down. They chose to be and continue to be a blessing to others. We at Rock Creek Church, we are a blessing to the world around us. Beth and Mark just got back a couple weeks ago, uh, right before Christmas, uh, after delivering all the shoeboxes down to Juarez. And we prayed for favor at the border, right? And God gave us favor at the border with uh, not having to be charged for uh, each individual box. And Beth said, I, I wish, and I'm going to butcher this, Beth, please forgive me. Um, but Beth said, I wish I could say it was um, work and a sacrifice to be down there and doing this, but it's not. Is that ish 
And it's because we influence the world down there. Jack? Okay. <laughs> we influence where we are. We influence where the fingerprints of God goes, where they extend. And the thankfulness of the heart of that church and our dear friends and family member down there can't even put in the words their gratitude. When we host an event for foster care and we have virtually every foster family affiliated with Boulder County come, whoever's in town, and we love them and we encourage them and we thank them and we gift them in the name of Jesus, we influence the world. I have had more than one occasion, someone affiliated with Samantha's team at Boulder Foster Care in the, in the social services say, you know what, you guys are destroying the idea of separation of church and state. Amen. Yeah, amen. It should be. We influence culture. Not we as in Brian and everybody else. We, the church, we influence culture. That's a healthy church. That's, that's what we're striving to be and to do. Not to run a holy huddle where we just show up and do our potlucks and do our church, but, but to influence the world around us. Consider their worldview, the apostles. The apostles were threatened. They were threatened with prison. They were threatened for their preaching. And yet they prayed. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, these people that are threatening death to us. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants and continue to speak your word with all boldness. You know, the, the world might say no. Your teachers might say no. Your professors might say no. There might be pushback from the culture around us, and yet God says yes. We as a church say yes. We keep our eyes on Christ. This is the early church. What's interesting is if we begin to drop our guard, things can unravel pretty quickly. And that is why you're going to hear at the, the family meeting our, our renewed focus as an elder board on what we should be focused on. Why? Because if we don't, certain things can fall through the cracks and all of a sudden things can unravel pretty quickly. You know that in your own life. You say, well, I, I'm going to live a life of purity, but I'm going to watch this. Or I'm going to uh, clean up my language, but I'll say this. Or I'm not going to cheat, but I'll kind of do this. And, and those little things begin to add up when we decide to influence our world. One gripping example of this comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Any of you read The Screwtape Letters? Uh, if you have not read the screw tape letters. I strongly, strongly recommend reading it. It's not a fast read um, because you need to digest the story of what's going on. This book is, is about a lead demon uh, from hell. His name is Screw Tape, and he's trying to equip his young apprentices uh, that are is working for the Legion of Hades on how to tempt people to turn away from God. And he speaks about the advantage of small sins, small things that you can do to get people to turn away from God, things that a person cares so little he or she hardly notices. And here I want to read a, a portion of what Screwtape uh, gives as he's instructing these young apprentices on how to affect uh, those who are trying to follow Christ. This is what Screwtape says. You will say... 
that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. According to C.S. Lewis, in his theology, and I believe it's 100% accurate, the way the enemy works is just small, subtle turns away from being who we're supposed to be. That can absolutely happen to the individual, but it can also happen to the church. It can also happen to who we are called to be as a church family, who we're called to be as a community. Little things, not like murder, but little turns. And the reason is their desire to do the right thing, it's not strong enough. Your desire, students, college students, high school students, middle school, junior high, your desire to do the right thing, it's not strong enough. You don't have enough energy and passion and commitment to do the right thing. You need what Scripture describes as the power of God to give you that guidance, to give you that ability, to give you the courage and the strength to do the right thing. And that's the early church. Discipleship is hard. And if you're not doing hard things, then ask yourself if you've been lulled to sleep. Hard things meaning reading the Bible. Hard things meaning spending time in prayer. Hard things meaning sacrificing financially for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Hard things like putting someone else first, caring for those needs first, serving sacrificially. Adjusting your schedule, your desires to serve another person. Worshiping God in some amazing ways. So the question is, what's easier to do? A Bible study or watch a television show? Check Facebook or call up a friend and talk? Students and to some degree adults you need to stop limiting your interaction with your friends and those who you love to a digital device. You have got to start interacting personally with those who you claim to love. I know the times have changed. I get that. I'm not an old fogey that's saying don't do social media. But if, you are, if you're, the majority of your interaction with someone who you claim to care about is done through a device then I would challenge you on how much you care for them. Would you rather watch football or sports or go spend time talking to the Savior of the world? The more meaningful something is, the harder it is, the more challenging that it is. Take the initiative to share about your life and what's really going on with you. 
it's so much easier just to remain quiet and keep it to yourself. Share your struggles with other people. You know what's crazy? Other people struggle too. It's amazing. <laughs> You're not the only one who has a struggle. Sometimes we think it. Sometimes we think, man, that my, my parenting is the most difficult on anybody in the face of the earth. There's a lot of us. We'll form a club. You say, well, my job's hard. There's a lot of people who have hard jobs. My finances are tough. Okay, there's a lot of people whose finances are tough. Share. Invite community in. People are looking for community. Experts will tell you, even outside of the church, people are starved for it. That's why people will go sit at bars and coffee shops for hours on end. So we want to give away community. This early church that we're trying to follow in some ways, we want to give it away because the more that we give, the more that we get. The more interaction we get with people. And with Christ, you don't ever lose anything. You're never out anything. You only gain. And so I want to invite you to either engage or re-engage with the church, with Rock Creek Church for 2018. To re-engage or to engage for the first time in this church as we worship God and love others and influence the world around us. God is not only not done with this church, I believe he's only just begun. And you and I get to be a part of that. And it's exciting times. So let's pray together as we continue to do just that. Worship God. So Lord, we love you. We're grateful for all that you've done. This opportunity that we have to, to approach your communion table, to remember to remember why we even do church, to remember why we get up and, and get dressed and, and drive here and sit in a chair and, and do what we do. It's all because of this cross. It's all because of the blood that was shed and, and the body that was broken for the new covenant that gives us new life, that reminds us that we are accepted and loved just as we are. And so we just say thank you it doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that life is just going to be merry and happy all the time. But it does mean we don't have to go through it alone. And so we just give you praise. We give you thanks that we don't just have a seat at the table. We have a seat next to you. Not because of anything that we've done, but everything because of what you've done. And so as we approach this table, as we sing, would you remind us of that. Remind us how special we are and how intricately involved you are in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to